of God that comes to us today is from our Gospel reading. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Did you mean that, really? I'm going to try that again. I wasn't planning on doing this, but Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, he is risen. Some of us haven't thought of that since last week or last year. Some of us have never thought about that. Some of us have been thinking about that and experiencing that in a special way. So we're all over the place. But that fact, that thing we just said, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. I've been, we've been discussing why we believe this. Why we believe that Christ is risen. And then, if He is risen, so what? And that's basically what we'll look at today from our Gospel reading. Luke here gives us a picture of, well, we t- looked at John last week, Thomas in the upper room, that was a week after Easter. Here we go back to Easter afternoon. And there's two disciples who are walking on the road. They've already heard rumors that the tomb is empty. They've heard rumors that the women saw angels and a, and a message that he was alive, but they didn't have any faith. They didn't yet understand. They didn't yet believe it. It didn't mean anything to them, even though they were devout disciples of Jesus. They were stuck in their heartbreak, in their hopes being dashed. That's where they were. And that's where many of us are with hopes that are dashed, so much trouble on our mind. It doesn't take us long to meditate and think of the problems that we have personally and as a group. There's a lot of them. And so sometimes in our lament, we forget the good news. We don't believe the good news. But the good news is Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. So today, I want to look briefly at this awesome text. Maybe it's familiar to you, maybe not, but this traveling to Emmaus with Jesus. And I want to show you how we can trust it. And not just it, but we can trust the printed word that we see on the page. We can pr- trust the prophetic word. We can trust the, uh, the providing word. And maybe you can help me come up with another w- name for that. But the providing word you'll see. And then we'll see how we can trust in the projecting word. Now that sounds all confusing, but let's bring it back home. So what? Is Christ risen? Let's take a look. How can we trust Luke? Well, he begins his gospel. If you have a Bible, you can look, but I'll just read it. Luke chapter 1. He tells us where he got his information. And he tells us why he writes. And so he says, As many as have undertaken to write a narrative about the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, so it seemed good to me to share, to pass on the things I've learned that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Luke writes his gospel so that we can recognize what we have, so that we can know just what it means for Jesus to be for us, risen for us. And so, can we trust Luke? All right. Remember last week, this is a quiz. Uh, what's our story? Why do we believe Jesus rose? There was two E's and three F's. Anyone remember those? That's okay if you don't. That's all right. That's why you're back. All right. All right, there's an empty tomb. Undebatable is empty tomb. Even the enemies of Jesus said it's empty. There were eyewitnesses, lots of them. At least ten occasions where Jesus showed up between one person, three people, a dozen, uh, 500 people saw Jesus. So empty tomb, eyewitnesses. 
Remember there were family of Jesus, like James, who said, I don't know what, why this, my brother thinks he's the Messiah, and didn't follow him until Jesus died. Something happened, and James followed him. We think it's the resurrection. And there were foes. That's the first F, family. And there were foes of Jesus, like Pharisees, and especially one Pharisee named Saul. Remember that guy? He didn't want to be a follower of Jesus. He wanted to stamp out the movement. Jesus showed up to him, and he changed, God changed the world through him. So that's, so empty tomb, eyewitnesses, families, foes, and the last one is followers. These early Christians believed, they lived as though they believed what they said. They all, most of the apostles, died saying, I saw him. None of them changed their mind and said, we made it up. So those are the two E's and three F's, which I'll quiz you on next week. All right? Actually, just take that with you and just think about it. That's our story. Now, some have other stories. Can we trust this book, these eyewitnesses? Well, I want to mention a couple of reasons why you can. Uh, Last, it's not printed in your bulletin, but the previous section, which we talked about at Easter, was that the first witnesses were women. The first ones to say, the angels or Jesus told me that he's risen. I saw him. The first ones were women. In that culture, you wouldn't choose a woman if you wanted to pass on some propaganda. You would never have them be the witnesses. Now, that, that's not good, necessarily. That's where the culture was. So there's the women. But here, today, in our story, we have a witness. Uh, and his name is here, Cleopas. And historians have looked back on history. And, and when someone is writing a myth, they don't put a, a, per, a name of a person uh, and also, he's writing within a time period. Would you go talk to this guy, Cleopas? Uh, anyone remember 1993? Raise your hand if you remember 1993. Come on, don't be shy. I mean, things, right? Kurt Cobain, Pearl Jam, Green Day, uh, Beanie Babies, right? Uh, okay, there's all kinds of stuff that happened in 1993. I'm sure we could list them, and a lot of you who are around were like, oh, yeah, remember that, remember that, remember that. I could tell you all about 1993. Mr. Wagen and Jory, Rom falling asleep in history in science class. I can tell you about all my friends. I could go back 30 years. It's not a big deal for me. Right? I, can, I lived it. I was there. I just, like just most of you could go back in time and tell us about something significant in your life. Luke is doing that. He's, it was not that long ago that these events happened. It's like 30 years. So you can go back and talk to the people here. Here it's Cleopas. Right? Uh, and then lastly, another reason we can trust this um, printed word, take a look at verse 25 in your bulletin. Jesus pulls a Mr. T on the disciples. <laughs> Calls them fools. You fools, right? Slow of heart. That's what he says to them. Now, why is that significant? Why does that mean that we can trust this document? Well, if this was propaganda and it didn't really happen, they wouldn't have included Jesus putting down or correcting so sharply the disciples. They would have had glowing reviews because they were the leaders of the church at the time when Luke wrote. Does that make sense? Like if you have a company, and you wouldn't write about the history of the company back then anyway and tell about how the CEO was such, uh, you know, they were so basically stupid, you know, uh, on the wrong track, but the company took off anyway, right? You wouldn't write that, but that's what, what's, that's what makes this historical. All right, so all that just to say, we can trust the printed word, right? And that's just from this text, we can see that. But that's, that's intellectual. I'm going to show you another one that's sort of intellectual that starts to get to our heart. We can trust the prophesied word. 
the word that is prophesied. So if you look here, Jesus shows up next to these two disciples. And it's, I think it's funny because they're like, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened? Uh, but the truth is, he's the, he is the only one that actually knows what has happened. Right? No one else knows that this Messiah who died as a political and religious outcast actually is alive. No one else knows it. So it's, it's funny when they say, are you the only one who doesn't know? He's the only one who does. Right? And he comes to them. They, have, they are disciples. So they believe in the prophets. They believe, as good Jews, that God would seat a king on David's throne. And that king would rule over the nations. Right? They believed it. They believed that God would send another prophet like Moses. So do they believe the prophetic word? Yes. But only half of it. It's like a coin, right? It has two sides. Which they could never see is this oxymoron. Right? Here's an oxymoron for you. And this will get your mouth watering. So come to the voters meeting afterwards because there's going to be maybe a healthy donut. Does that exist? A healthy donut? How about gourmet fast food? Does it exist? I don't know. There's lots of oxymorons. They just don't exist, right? Normally. Here's, a, here's another one that they didn't get. The other side of the coin was a suffering Messiah. Right? They thought Messiah was ruler, which he is, but the suffering part, they did not get. So Jesus goes through the prophetic writings, and he shows them. He says, you fools, you didn't get it. Wasn't it necessary, this is verse 26, wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? They believed in his glory the whole time. They didn't believe that he should suffer. And so, beginning with Moses and through all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, he told them, there's one story. There is one story, and it is God's story. I am the one from God, and you're a part of the story. He told them the truth, and he probably went through every book of the Bible. So we could do that at some point. Like, hey, here it is in, in Genesis. Here it is in Exodus. Here it is in Leviticus, like Jesus did. That would take a while. You might all walk out and look for a healthy donut. So we're going to keep moving. Um, they could trust in the pro, 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 prophesied word and the printed word. But those things, like, they were correct. What we have, the printed word and pro, pro, prophesied word, those are pretty much the same thing. But those can be intellectual. You can believe in those things. You can believe the Bible is true. You can believe the Bible told all about where Jesus would be born and what he would do. You can believe it all. But you still not have it in your heart. And that's the next thing that Jesus brings them to. And this is what I'm calling, and maybe you can help me out with a better term for this, the providing word. In other words, they're on the journey. They get taught all the ways to think about Jesus but they still don't recognize him. What does it take? It takes a providing word. Take a look at verse 28. And I love how Jesus is sort of messing with them. Maybe he messes with us too. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Now Jesus at, the, at this point is the guest Right? He is there. Uh, they're putting out for him. He went to stay with them. When he was at table with them, who is it that now turns into the host? It's Jesus. While he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. This sounds like to us not a big deal, like they had dinner. But this is Jesus risen from the dead. 
This is Jesus ushering in his kingdom. Now take a look what happens. Their eyes were opened. Remember before, it says their eyes were prevented from seeing them. Now their eyes are opened. When? At this meal where Jesus is the host. Their eyes are open. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. That is, this Emmaus Road is what we're doing right now. Right? What we did the first 15 minutes, we're walking along and we're listening to the word of Jesus. The printed word, the prophetic word, which is the same thing. And in a moment, we come here thinking we're going to, um, you know, um, well, we come here and we end up being the guest of Jesus at this meal, right? This Eucharist. This is a foreshadowing of that Eucharist. And it's something that we can't explain, right? They couldn't really explain it. They experienced it with Jesus, and all of a sudden, they, they recognized him. He was with them, not just intellectually, but in, in the spiritual experience. He was there in the Eucharist. He was there in that supper. And that's not something you can explain to anybody. You can only believe it, right? Uh, Jesus, this is... So think of the trajectory for a moment. And we'll, so there's... In the Old Testament, there's these wilderness wanderings. There's the manna where God feeds them on a daily basis, right? He takes care of them. And then he heightens it. And uh, in the last sup, then he, oh, Jesus feeds 5,000 to 4,000. He's feeding a lot of people, taking care of them physically. But then it all kind of comes to a climax at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, when he, when he brings this, these meals into something greater, which is the Lord's Supper. Take and eat. This is my body. Take and drink. This is my the blood of the New Testament given for you. He transforms normal eating into something magnificent. Uh, it, it fulfills what you know, Psalm 23 says. Uh, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. It fulfills what he said in John. Whoever eats my blood and drinks my flesh, whoever drinks my, eats, my, eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Like these things that, that causes people to, to back off and to, to be scared. But yet when we experience it, at the table with Jesus, our eyes are open. So I can't explain it to you more than that, except for that's what happened to these people. This is what happens to us when we, when we come at, and are the guest at Jesus' table. When our sins are forgiven, we are, when we are joined to God in the Eucharist. Okay, all that to say, I don't know, my term for that is the providing word on this journey of life, on this Emmaus road, it's the providing word. And it's what caused them to recognize Jesus. All right. Lastly, there's something that happens to them. And this is sort of the, the projecting word. Right? It says this. They, he vanished. They're not going to see him in the same way. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose and went to Jerusalem and told the others, this seeing Jesus in the meal created community it, and it, fought, it, it began the mission. Were they told to go do this? Were they told, go back to Jerusalem, tell the boys and the girls? No. They just did it, right? They couldn't help it. And that's something like this Emmaus Road journey we're on. We don't always get it, but when we experience Jesus... Just like when you like the bills, or you like a good restaurant, or you like sausage, you tell other people about it, right? Same thing when we experience Jesus. We tell other people about it. All the answers? No. 
just a little bit that I have myself. But they went and told. So this projecting word will carry forward. Uh, so it is, it is a powerful thing that God is up to. So they went back and said, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road. They heard Jesus' word and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And so us too. We hear Jesus' word and we are his guests at his table. And by his grace, his spirit in us, we go and tell. Um, it's not very hard, but it's very hard. But he is with us on this journey. Now may the peace of God which passes all our understanding guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.